Welcome to the Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, a platform that empowers women's storytelling to promote collective vulnerability, acceptance, and healing. I am your host, Jennifer Malcolm, self-made entrepreneur, women advocate, and life balance expert. Welcome to the next episode of Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, where every woman has a story and every story matters. I'm Jennifer Malcolm, founder and president of Genesis and Associates, and with me today is Miss Sarah Bratt. Um, Sarah is an old friend of mine, um, known her for about 10 years, um, previous elementary school teacher. She was a Genesis and Associates team member for several years, um, and most importantly, adoptive mother of three beautiful Ethiopian daughters. Um, married, lives um, in Virginia, I believe, mm-hmm. and she's here to share her story with you. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Jen. How are you? I'm, you know, living the quarantine dream. <laughs> living the quarantine dream. So I am going to preface this uh, podcast by sharing, um, I did say this in the pre-story, um, that there are two people on this for this earth that make me laugh like there's no tomorrow. I don't know what it is, but Sarah is one of those. So I anticipate some laughter, some tears. I brought my tissue. Um, my friend Shyla's the other one. I don't know what it is but they just have the gift of giving me some deep laughter. So um, so do you remember how we met? I don't. I, don't. I was trying to think of that the other night. Somebody connected us, but I don't remember who it was. I was wondering if it was Aaliyah. Ah, that's right. It was Aaliyah. Okay. So I was thinking it might be Aaliyah. Yes. And um, so she also does adoptions. Yes. And Aaliyah and I were in the same background of a church together. And I think you guys were in a community. I yeah, think that's how I met. Adoption. Yeah. Good call. I've totally forgotten that. I was trying to think about that last night. And at that point you lived in Ohio. So then you left and you moved to Philly. I did. Yeah. You found a new, new tribe there. Yes. Yeah. And you actually were the person, uh, we have numerous people on Genesis Speaks now in Philly and you were like the inception of that. So. Yep. Yep. You were the connector. I don't know what it is about you, but connecting and you're like, oh, you two need to meet. That's because I've never met a stranger. I'll talk to anybody. I don't care. (laughs) And my kids always make fun of me because they're like, mom, you will talk to anyone. And I'm like, well, one, it's human kindness. Right. Like you never know like the point of connection or just, you know, they think it's odd. There's, there's been many opportunities, many times where I'm like, hey, we're going to go um, have dinner at this family's house. And they're like, well, how do you know them? I'm like, well, I met the mom on Facebook. And they were like, mom, you like, that's not safe. I have my like, you know, at the time, 12 year olds telling me, mom, that's not safe. You can't just like meet strangers from the internet and go to their houses. Which is what we tell our kids all the I know. time. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but this is different. <laughs> I know. We were actually talking about, um, the other day, Paige is just graduated from uh, co- or high school, going to college this fall, which is crazy. Gosh. And we were talking about how um, different, because Camden's 19, um, mm-hmm. and how she's got different roles because she's a girl. She's not allowed mm-hmm. to you know, go on a road trip for three, four, five hours because right. she's a girl. And I was like, it is different. And so we were talking at our, my book club last week about you know, I said, you never know, like you could, you know, like get a, um, your tire blown out, your car runs down and, you know, you might get like some stranger that stops by. And the one person in our book club goes, okay, how likely is that going to happen? And I was like, <laughs> okay, I was 22 
on my way to my bridal shower, mm-hmm. I got, um, my car broke down on 77 going south. And I didn't have, cell phones weren't prevalent back then. Right, right. And some guy pulled over and said, hey, I'll take you to the next exit. And I thought, mm, probably not a great idea. But I got in the car. Oh, my gosh. Right, right. And I so was like, so the chances are, and I'm smart. Like, I was smart in right. 4.0. Like, just smart. And I was like, you just, in your instinct, make a decision that could change. Right. So, so yeah, right. I'm, I'm, all that to be said, teasing, because my kids are the same way. Like, yeah. wait, you talk to strangers. That's weird. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So tell me, the point of this podcast is to talk about uh, your journey with motherhood and adoption, um, how you guys chose this route. Um, So share a little bit about the background of um, you and your husband and your journey and how you got here. Okay. So I grew up with adopted family members in our extended family. My two aunts were adopted at birth. And so I remember being like 12 and talking to my aunts about it and always being really fascinated by the whole concept and really liking the idea because I definitely felt very strongly that God put me on this earth to be a mother, but the idea of being pregnant and giving birth made me want to like jump off of a bridge. Like I had no desire whatsoever to do any of that. And I had friends who were like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till I get pregnant. And I'm like, oh, that's like having an alien inside of you, that seems like not okay with me. (laughs) So I didn't really know how to like, um, kind of come to terms with why do I want to be a mom so bad? But why am I like grossed out at the idea of like growing a human inside of me? That's hilarious. So, um, then I ended up getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease and my husband, his mom has Crohn's disease as well. So with it on both sides of the family, it was a 30% chance of passing that on to a a biological child. And then my husband's father was diagnosed with Huntington's disease, which is extremely genetic and fatal. Um, So Huntington's is 50% genetic and fatal. There's no treatments, no cures, nothing. So um, as devastating as that was to kind of realize that that was part of our family story, it honestly gave me a get out of jail free card because it would be knowing all of that genetic hot mess. It would, in my mind, it felt selfish to decide to have a biological child um, and risk all of that genetic awfulness. Potential, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how we decided on adoption. And then I, you know how I love Excel. (laughs) And so I, of course, made a spreadsheet of all of the countries. I went on the websites of kind of the big adoption agencies in our country and just to see what countries were open for adoption at that point, because through our state department, that changes all the time, whether it be our country shuts down our relationship with that country as far as adoption or that country decides that they're going to either end international adoption altogether or... What made you choose international adoption versus domestic? It's interesting because I, when we started this, um, when we started this journey, I was 28 and I just thought for sure I could not handle an open adoption. So I didn't think that I could handle having a relationship with the birth family. Um, It felt scary to me. Um, 
And I just felt safer um, doing an international adoption where the parent, like some, some random legal issue couldn't pop up and the parents could come back. And so what's funny about that is we hired an investigator a few years back, probably five years ago now, to find our girls' birth families in Ethiopia. And we're in contact with them. Well, we're in contact with the twins' birth mom because they're more in a city and have access to internet. Where Celia's, my youngest mom, lives very rurally. So we have pictures of her and she has pictures of Celia, but um, we haven't had um, contact with her since the investigator went out there. So I'll have to say, I, I thought, you know, the idea of open adoption was really scary. And now I just see what a blessing it is. And, um, yeah, I would be totally open to it now. And I think a lot of that is just maturity and life experience. Absolutely. And, um, and, and security. Again, yeah. And I think that idea of security, safety, reassurance, and every person's different. So even through this, you know, those who of you who are listening, all of us are going to respond differently emotionally, yes. um, spiritually, intellectually, based on our past, based on our potentially our partner or for a loan just the circumstances. And this is Sarah's story and it's mm-hmm. a powerful one, um, but this is her hers to share and doesn't mean that every situation or choice that she made through this journey is exactly. a choice. So no, so keep going. Yeah, and I, I just think it's important for women, especially to grant each other grace. And you know, if, if you feel strongly that you want to have a birth child and you go through 10 rounds of IVF and, you know, I respect that journey because that's what you feel called to do. And that's like the, the, the desire of your heart. And Absolutely. I'd say the majority, vast majority, maybe 90% of the people that I know in my adoption community adopted out of infertility. So okay. they had to really grieve the loss of that idea of having a birth child. Um, before they could move on to experiencing the joy of adopting. Which you said, candidly, you got your get out of jail free card. Exactly. So (laughs) that's just a part of it like that I don't relate to and I feel blessed that I didn't have to go through that hard part of it. Sure. um, Because that was the desire of my heart was always to adopt. Right. Um, But again, like God makes all of us different, gives us all different desires and we just have to follow that and not judge each other for our journey that we Absolutely. go on. So tell me about your three girls because I know they're very similar, very different, very unique, and then we'll get into um, how your adoption process kind of went down. So I have 14-year-old twin girls, so that in itself is <laughs> a mess. And how old were they when, when they came to you? They were four. four, and when they came to me, they barely spoke any English. They basically only knew how to say no. And that was their favorite thing to say. And they were like a hot mess. They, well, they're still a hot mess, but the fact that they can like function in a school setting, any kind of social setting is just like pretty amazing considering where they came from. Because when they came to us, they had a lot of issues and a lot of trauma. I mean, there's reasons behind all of it, but um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting you know teenagers as you know are interesting they are are hellions yeah I will say though I feel like I like my kids more as they get older I don't know what that is like 
I remember when the twins went to kindergarten and they had this thing called a boohoo brunch for the moms who were like so sad that their kids were going to kindergarten. And I was like, uh, do you have a Yahoo bar crawl? Because that's what I want to join because I'm not crying at all. Here you go. Here are my kids. Here, take them, please. Do not send them home for three hours. I'm going on a pub crawl and I'll be back at three. I'll be drinking heavily. <laughs> That's hilarious. And everyone is so different because yeah. Yeah. I, I remember having a hard time when Camden went to kindergarten, mm-hmm. like that, you know, breach, but I still had at that point, you know, two toddlers, yeah. but I felt like it got easier with the girls. Like, whew, okay, I can actually shower or I can yes. actually get something accomplished without someone knocking on the door or right. asking for a snack or needing their nose wiped or any yeah. of that stuff. So yeah. I did right. get that. All right, so mom bar crawl for kindergarten. Keep going. Yeah. Maybe, well, that, maybe that'll be the new trend. Yeah, I think it would be a great idea. You know, you got to you got to diverse. I'm a teacher. You got to like diversify to meet everyone's needs. You know, and especially all these moms over the last four months that had to to homeschool. For real. Yes. Be like I am on there and. Yeah. Yes. Once school goes back to normal one day in the far future, we should all just go and drink heavily. I'm not even a big drinker, you know that, but I just like, <laughs> you like I, I, your Amarato Sours. Yes, I like the old lady drinks. Old lady drinks. Yes, yes. I've been consuming about one Smirnoff ice every night Ooh, during there quarantine. There you go. Because um, it's not easy being home with your children all day, no, every day. No, I get My youngest is 10. Her name is Celia. And she is... Um, Hot she's mess. a lot. She's, she's, she's a hot mess too? Oh, she's maybe the hottest mess. Like, you know, like if you're thinking of peppers, like spicy peppers, she may be a ghost pepper hot mess. Oh, she may be, I'm was, probably like a jalapeno. You know, she's, like some people can palate me, right? Like sure. some people enjoy me. I'm not, every, I'm not everyone's taste for sure. Like when I meet someone, I give them like 10% of me sure. at first because I don't want to like scare Overwhelm them. them. Right, because I'm a lot, and I'm not, I'm not everyone's taste. That's so awesome. Celia, I would put her in the ghost pepper the category. ghost pepper. So how old was she when, because I do remember when she came, but how old was she when she came to your home? She was four as well. So that seems to be my, well, it was my sweet spot. I'm way too old for that now. Like, <laughs> I think if we, we, we plan on um, fostering teenagers once oh. our kids are out of the house. That's awesome. Because, again, I just think we're more older kid kind sure. of so not the runny nose diapers no state. no I intentionally opted out of the toddler phase I love babies right. um I love other people's babies just like I love other people's puppies like that's a lot of work that I'm not interested in sure. um I'm not a fan of toddlers of any kind because they're basically little tyrants and I just, they're like little terrorists and I just can't, I can't. What, um, so when you teach, what age group do you teach? Don't tell me toddlers. <laughs> no, no, because I've worked in many daycares and they've oh, no. always been like, I've always told them, do not put me in the toddler room. No. Because they will tie me up and tie me to a chair and it's just not going to be a good look. No. So I have um, worked with preschool, kindergarten, and second grade. Okay. So when I taught in schools, it was kindergarten and second grade. Okay. So that 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 middle age is fine. Yes. Getting older is even more sufficient. Yes. So. I like the independence. I like the conversations, like about meaningful things. I enjoy that. I agree. 
I agree. And, and having now a almost 16, almost 18 and 19 year old, um, that same, that same thing, like having true conversations, enjoying, I, I took Regan thrifting yesterday and she was like, we have to do this cause I'm a child. And she was joking and bantering with me. And I was like, you were anything but a child, like right. you're like almost 16 years old and you are self-sufficient to go talk to the stranger to get the key to the bathroom. Like, exactly. Yes. You can do this. Right. So, right. Right. So yeah. tell me, um, how you got the girls and what, I mean, a lot of people are very familiar with, um, international adoptions and my sister and her husband, um, adopted Marky when he was, uh, little, mm -hmm. um, but you did, you and Mike do something very different. So describe, uh, what that is and, um, how you guys even found out about it because it's kind of something yeah. that was very, you were the first person that I ever knew about it. So Mike and I had started off from my spreadsheet to adopt from Ethiopia at the time in 2010 they had the least amount of red tape sure. and the kids it was being reported that the kids were coming out of the orphanage pretty healthy emotionally and physically and obviously every ethiopian i've ever seen from like zero to 100 is stunningly gorgeous so that didn't hurt exactly. uh, so we started the process with our agency just to do run-of-the-mill ethiopian adoption okay and we kept running into these weird, weird uh, obstacles. So one of them was because of my Crohn's disease, I had my doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, who was basically like a dad to me. He looked at me and he said, Sarah, you, uh, you understand you can't go to Ethiopia. <laughs> and I said, oh, but I am because my kids are there. So I'm going to go to Ethiopia. And he's like, but you can't because you can't even get the required CDC immunizations to go there. Because of Crohn's? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I have my weakened immune system and one of them was the live vaccine and I wasn't allowed to have that. Sure. So that was an obstacle. There was another obstacle um, with my name. As far as I changed my middle name to my maiden name when I got married, but apparently you have to go to probate court for that. Oh. And the lady at the social security office didn't tell me that. No. Now you know. Those of you well, listening, note. <laughs> yes. Now you know. Yep. Yep. And it, honestly, like if you're if you're not doing anything with international adoption, it doesn't ever really come up. Right. So there was just all these obstacles that were coming up. So our agency had connected us with this other family that was going to be the first family in that agency to go through their Ethiopia program. Okay. They connected us on social media, and I, uh, which at that point was just uh, Facebook and like MySpace back then I know right not we were beyond MySpace but well, not not much not too, far, not too far not too far off so I had kind of stalked this lady on Facebook and you know kind of followed her journey and I had seen that their trip to Ethiopia and all the pictures she was posting and they came home and they were posting a little bit of pictures but not as many Okay. So I got this phone call on like April 30th. Now, mind you, we started this journey in January. We were hoping to have kids home by the end of December. And the agency calls me April 30th and is like, so what would you think about twin four-year-old girls? Because we had specified five and under. We wanted a sibling group and oh, nice. we didn't specify gender. Okay. So they told us, you'll probably get boys because most people specify girls. Okay. And I said, great. 
Yeah. Um, and Mike said, wouldn't it be funny if we got twin girls? And I looked at him as um, coming from a family of only boys. And I said, no, that would not be funny. And you would not think it's funny when you are dealing with everyone's period syncing up Absolutely. and paying for two prom dresses at the same time, paying for two weddings yep. and all the attitudes going to come with twin oh, yeah. girls. All the emotions, all right. the personality. Yep. So when we got that call, I looked at him like, all right, buckle your seatbelt. Like, no. you put this out in the universe. And here it is. Here it is. It's hilarious. <laughs> See how funny you think it is. Exactly. And if it's all cute and fun now, just uh -huh. wait. <laughs> right, right. So basically what had happened is the family that brought them home, they had initially told the adoption agency they wanted a three-year-old and under girl, one. Okay. Our adoption agency was so in a hurry to get their first Ethiopian adoption under their belt that they rushed this placement through. And if you are wanting to adopt and they put this placement in front of your face, even if it's not like the perfect fit, it's really hard to say no, Absolutely. right? So the agency put them in an impossible position. Sure. They also, the family had one child that was older than the twins that was special needs and another child that was the same age as the twins, which in the adoption world, you don't do artificial, what they call it artificial twinning. But in this case, it would have been like an artificial triplet because wow. these, the kids, they compete with each other if they're at the same age. Now all four of the uh, children Ethiopian? No, they were all biological. So there were three biological boys in the family and then they brought the twins in. Okay. So they were with that family for four weeks and that family decided there were a lot of other factors, but um, they were kind of forced into a decision of disrupting the adoption okay. and they couldn't have been nicer. They happened to live in our hometown okay. and we kind of started going over there just to meet the girls and then we would take them for a little bit. We were trying to like transition kind Absolutely. of slowly. Um, Cause they but, literally came from Ethiopia to this house four weeks later, this family's like, I don't think this is an ideal fit for our family. Exactly. You guys are yeah. now stepping in to kind of bridge mm -hmm. that relationship. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So at, it was around May 13th that we took over the adoption that they came to live with us. Wow full time. And so they hadn't been in the country but six weeks sure. and all the time that they had spent at that house was not very, um, they hadn't made much progress as far as language learning right. because there was just a lot of uh, trauma that they were kind of processing through. Sure. So when they came to us, they hardly spoke any English whatsoever. Right. They had severe PTSD. Wow. So we had to learn, it was a weirdest God thing because I had interviewed for a part-time position at a youth crisis center in Berea. And so I had gone through all of their training. I learned um, these holds um, to restrain kids who are, you know, kind of out of control just to help calm them down. I didn't end up finishing that job because I got a different job that was full time. It was a better fit. But that training was like invaluable when it came to our kids because they they needed that um, that restraint to be just kind of like calmed down and told you know you're safe, it's okay. And, it, and even that um, I, and I'm no expert in this, so if I say this poorly to the audience or to you, 
but even that pressure, like that, that yes. constraint, that pressure that you're exactly. safe, you're okay. Yes. Um, and being, you know, soothing words, love, all, exactly. all of that is bringing a calmness factor to children. So definitely because okay. they, they, all three of my kids have been diagnosed with sensory integration disorder. Wow. So they need that, that pressure as part of like, just like you said, calming them down and they need that input, that sensory input. Okay. So, um, that was kind of our life for a year and a half. Wow. It was, it was a lot. Um, and you're but, going from no kids in the home yeah. to two four-year-olds that are now very much, A, don't speak English, right, or, and B, now dealing with uh, post-traumatic. So that's right, cool. right. Okay. Yeah. So keep going. So, of course, once they start kind of evening out at about seven years old, we decided just to renew our home study so that we could be ready in case something were to come along. Now, during this time, we had realized that these disruptions, especially in, in international adoptions, are pretty common. Oh, interesting. So a lot of these kids go into foster care um, or are, at that point, there were all these kind of underground rehoming kind of things going on that were, had no oversight had no checks and balances, which is like terrifying. Right. So there were like Yahoo groups where people were going in and basically listing their child like they were a puppy to find a new home for. Wow. So and this is in the US. Yes. Wow. Okay. So in the US, if you have a biological child that you relinquish to the state for state custody to place them in, in foster care, not like you're forced to, but you choose to do that. So you choose to place your child somewhere else you face charges. So you face criminal charges of, of some sort. Neglect, I don't remember exactly what the charge sure. is. Okay. It is not that way with adopted children. You can, yeah, oh. you can place them with a new family, place them in foster care. There's absolutely new, no repercussions legally. So it's very, very easy to, I mean, not emotionally, but legally, it's very easy to say, we can't do this anymore. This is right. Wow, okay. So when we realized kind of what an epidemic that was, we decided that that was going to be our calling. And if something were to fall into our laps, then we would evaluate that. Absolutely. So I called an agency just to get our home study um, updated. Not the same agency we used before because we found out some things about them and we just didn't want to give them any more money. Sure. We had lost respect for them. So I called the small agency in Toledo that was recommended to me and they said, oh, absolutely, we can help you update your home study. Um, but just so you know, we've never dealt with disrupted adoptions. And I said, no problem. I just need the home study updated. I don't need, you know, placement or anything. Right. I just, we just want to be ready, right? Absolutely. So that was on, I want to say that was a Wednesday and she calls me Friday morning and she said, you're not going to believe this. And I said, try me. I know, try me. I already have two twins. So right. <laughs> try me. It's, it's hard to shock me at this point. Exactly. So she said that that morning they had got a call about a four-year-old. Well, at the time she was three, a three-year-old Ethiopian girl who their family was looking to uh, disrupt their adoption. Yeah. And I said, that doesn't surprise me at all. Like, I just yeah, put, it out, put it out to the universe. Exactly. 
here it comes. That's God being like, you're doing exactly what yeah, exactly. you know, I told you to do. Right. So, um, so that was my youngest, Celia. Now she had been with her first adoptive family for three years. So they brought her home at 10 wow. months old. Wow. Um, so the mom had wanted to adopt because they couldn't, they were having infertility issues. Okay. And then the mom ended up getting pregnant. So basically treated Celia like a second class citizen because she definitely favored her other children. And mm -hmm. then, so Celia was not treated well the entire time that she was living with them for three years and then was given away. Wow. wow. And they wanted no further, con like we're still in contact with the twins first family. They were with them for six weeks. Yeah. Right. Like we're still, we still talk to them now. It's, it's kind of faded off over time. Sure. But Celia's family that she was with for three years wanted no further contact ever. They wanted us, she was four years old when, she, when we got her in court, but they wanted us to lie to her and say she had always lived with us. Sorry. And so our lawyer was like, just tell her you'll do it so that we can just push this through. She said, he was like, there's no legal requirement for you to do that. Wow. Um, so they just... I mean, the dad seemed fine. He was like sobbing in court because he adored her. So when we went to court, they flew, they had to fly to Ohio. They lived in California. And in the courtroom, the dad was sobbing. He adored her. Um, but the mom had zero affect whatsoever. Wow. And I remember part of this because this, at this point, you were working at Genesis. Uh, yeah. This was like 2000. What yeah, because I started in September, and this fell in my lap, like, a couple weeks after I started with you. Right, I remember. And I was like, um, that's like a surprise pregnancy or something, like, exactly. I didn't need maternity leave. We've had numerous of those on the team, like, I'm not <laughs> have a baby, I'm not planning on. So, right, yeah. right. So the dad really sounds like had bonded and would have probably chosen to keep yeah. her, yeah. and the mom was driving the had zero affect whatsoever and she had said apparently she had said to the dad if we don't disrupt her adoption i'm leaving you and taking the boys wow wow so i kind of like taken the dad aside in the courtroom and said listen if you want to continue contact like i think it would be healthy for her Ooh. to have continued contact with you if you have a good relationship with her because otherwise it was like they all just died Right. Because she and, never heard from them or never saw them again. Does she remember them? Because now it, oh, yeah. yeah, she has to. I mean, at four years old, you have memory. Okay. And, you know, wow. Even when she was like six, when we were in Pennsylvania, she saw, he flew a, a helicopter for the Coast Guard. Okay. And she saw a helicopter up in the sky and started crying and said, is that my, is that my other dad coming to get, take me away from you? Wow. So absolutely. Yeah. She had memories. Wow. Yes, yes. She has a lot of memories from that, unfortunately. So yeah. not many great. Right. I'm so sorry. So her trauma was, I mean, obviously there's trauma in being separated from your birth mom. Absolutely. But then she had another whole nother layer of trauma in that she has people telling her, you're not good enough. Right. You right. know, people who agreed to love her forever right. are giving her away absolutely because they had their biological children yeah exactly wow. wow yeah 
Because people, and, you know, just like if you have a biological child, there's no guarantee. They were also saying that she had all these weird special needs that. I remember that. And you were like, yeah. no, and no, and no. Right. Yeah, like Because she probably was premature when she was born and she probably um, had some delays because right. when she was in the orphanage, she, her paperwork said starvation. Wow. So I think she had failure to thrive. And sure. so she was just developing things later. So she, they were taking her to OT and PT. But they would say weird things like, she's not strong enough to pick a strawberry off the vine. She's not strong enough to bite into a piece of pizza. And I'm thinking at the time, she's three? Cut her pizza up for her. Exactly. Yeah. Weirdos. That's like, great. that's a weird thing to fault a child for. Yeah. That she can't take a bite of pizza. Right. And, and I remember the summer after we got her, because we got her in November, and that following summer, we went strawberry picking. <laughs> like, and I took a picture of her <laughs> taking a strawberry off of mine. Exactly. My child can pick strawberries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that is the standard, of course. Sure. Sure, sure. That's hilarious. That's yeah. Hilarious. But like when you have a biological child, there's zero guarantee that you're going to have a child with no special needs. Correct. And, and honestly, being a social worker and a teacher... I think every child has their own set of special needs. Absolutely. And it, and they're all different, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, yeah. um, trauma-induced, you know, yeah. whatever. It, every child, A, needs to be loved and yeah. unconditional love as the foundation. I think as the audience and moms, we all know that. Yeah. But B, like my three kids, their friends, all of them have the little nuances of like, mm-hmm. hey, what is that? Whether it's, yeah, worry too much or yeah. you know, OCD or yeah. you know, different yeah. things, whether it's diagnosed or not, there right. are tendencies that as parents, you just groom and guide and love yeah. through and, you know, work on them to overcome and empower and give them t- uh, tips and tools to right. do that. But we're all, we're all, we all have our quirks. So, and we're all willing to do whatever we have to do for our child. Absolutely. No matter what, we're willing to go to the ends of the earth to help our child. Absolutely. And so that, that it should be that way, no matter if they're biological or adopted. Absolutely. Just, so now they're how old? They're 14? 14, 14 and 10. Wow. Almost 11. And I always made, Cecilia will be 11 in October. And when I used to teach... I taught second grade, but I also was nannying for this family at the time that had an 11-year-old daughter who had this, like, attitude, and so her name was Jordan. She's, like, in college now, almost graduating, but I'd always be like, oh, my gosh, stop being 11, so it's, like, our joke right now. She just turned 22, so I had sent her a text and said, oh, my gosh, you're double 11 now. Awesome. And now <laughs> so you're they're giving me a hard time. They're like, oh my gosh, Celia's almost 11. And I'm like, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> That's funny. Now, so you obviously, um, Celia uh, remembers her yeah. dis- uh, disruption. Yeah. The twins don't because they were little. Well, um, they were the same age. They remember, they oh, remember yeah. that other family too. But again, it's not, there's no real negative feelings because we even got together with them. We saw them, um, it was a couple of 4th of July's ago, we were in Ohio, and I thought I saw one of the boys like walk by, and I texted her, we were at this like 4th of July thing sure. about fireworks, when we were allowed to be around people. I was always like, oh, this is so people-y, I just, oh, I don't like a lot of people, and now I'm just like, I just want to see people. I don't care if they're strangers. <laughs> I don't care. But I had texted the mom and said, 
it just, it looks like I just saw Nicholas walking around and she was like, oh my gosh, are you guys in Ohio? So they like came over and saw us and um, they're just, they're good, good people. They still have pictures of the twins up in there, you know, up in all their family pictures. Yeah. They still have a picture of them because they were, they considered them part right. of their family. It was four weeks, six weeks. Right. So are the, tw do the t twins process it differently than Celia does? That yeah. I mean, she has it because one's very trauma-based. Right. And right. one isn't. Right. And one was so short term sure. that it was more like kind of like a foster care placement, a temporary Ooh. placement That's true. Okay. You know, before right. you kind of went to your forever family. No. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely trauma in that they were told when they got there, you know, this is your mom and your dad and you're right. going to live with them forever. Oh. And then six weeks later, we're having a conversation. Mom. Like, <laughs> Just kidding. It was actually, they came to the United States on April Fool's Day. So I always joke with them like, April Fool's, you went to the wrong family. <laughs> They're like, mom, you can't say that. That's terrible. Well, you can now. Now. Right. right. <laughs> Back then it may not be as uh, funny. How did right. your like, family, your friends, you know, process this with you? Did they think that you guys are crazy? Were they yeah. supportive? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, they already knew Jalapeno, we were crazy. Jalapeno crazy? Jalapeno uh, ghost pepper crazy, for sure. Ghost pepper crazy. Um, my mom, it took a lot for her to, I don't know if she even still understands. She adores them. Sure. But my mom definitely had that longing to have biological grandchildren. Um, that didn't understand my lack of longing to have biological children. She wanted me to try to at least give birth to a, one of my children. Right. But with my health, you know how bad it is. Right. I could die. Like that's how bad my Crohn's disease is. It would be really dangerous. I've had multiple surgeries in my abdomen area. It would be really bad. It would be right. a bad situation. Sure. Um, so it was hard for her to process it. And it was also... Well, she won't be listening to this, so I can say this. <laughs> when I told her we had chosen Ethiopia, she said, why wouldn't you adopt from Russia? Hmm. And I said, well, that's interesting. I'll tell you why, because I had, do have reasons. There's a lot in, in Russia. It's socially acceptable in their culture to drink alcohol when you're pregnant. So they have a lot of fecal, fetal alcohol syndrome coming out of there. I have my whole spreadsheet and my whole list. It's of on the spreadsheet, mom. It's on the spreadsheet. <laughs> Let me share that with you. <laughs> Here you go. Let me share that spreadsheet with you, Mom. I right, do have my reader. Right. All right. So keep her, it was hard for her to picture having Black grandchildren. Sure. I definitely think that was an element. She would never admit that. Oh, absolutely. Ever. Right? Um, and actually, I was most concerned about my grandparents because they're of that generation. Absolutely. I was constantly correcting my grandmother when she would say colored people or she would whisper black. She'd say, did you see that black woman over there? And I'm like, why are you whispering? What, that's not a bad word. What are you doing? That's so weird. You can't do that. So I was most concerned about them, sure. which it was amazing to watch my grandparents in their 80s grow as people. Yeah. Nobody loved those, loved my grandkids more than my grandparents. That's awesome. And my grandfather ended up paying because we were going to have to fundraise and all this stuff. And then everything started happening so fast. Right. He just, he paid for the whole adoption. He said, we just need to get him here. We just need to take care of it. And then you guys, you know, pay me back whatever you can, whenever you can. Sure. That's amazing. So, yeah, 
they ended up of going back to like how your heart expands. Yes. You're saying at grandparents at such an, you know, grew up in an era um, with a lot of racism yes. or thing, you know, words that they were, were very prevalent yes. and how your heart can grow and love and show yeah. such kindness. Um, that's and learn, like yeah, and learn. they had never really known black people. They were, they were in, came from a very, very white Southern Ohio town. Sure. So they, they just realized that, oh, they're just people. They're the same as us. They're yeah. just a little tanner. <laughs> Wow. Now, do you get um, comments now being, obviously you and Mike are white and your right. daughters are um, Ethiopian. So do you get the weird looks now as a, as a family or do you feel like? Well, we definitely still get the looks for sure. Um, I don't get as many looks when I'm by myself with them okay. because people generally just assume I have a black husband. Okay. But what's funny is when Mike's with them, he says people always come up to him and be like, oh, are they adopted? And Mike's like, why doesn't anyone think I could have a black wife? <laughs> he gets all offended. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. Isn't that's, it? Right. Yeah. That's very interesting. And, you know, the most, most of the people that give us weird looks, it's mostly the older generation. Oh. And it's just because, you know, they're past that age of having a filter and giving a crap about oh. offending anybody, you know? No, like, I, I can't that. wait to be that age where you just don't have to, you right. just don't give a crap, you know? <laughs> exactly. So did, you, so did your friends, your church family, other, like, how did they help or... Or, you know, say that you were batshit crazy type scenario. Right. Like, right. Where, like, how did that fall through the, A, through the twins first of mm -hmm. a lot of people have never even heard of this type of adoption. And right. then B, you know, very soon thereafter, here you have uh, um, with another adoption four-year-old. So how did right. that work with your family, church, uh, right. friends? So we were still going to my mom's, uh, my parents' old church. Um, they were really supportive, um, but it, it was in Seville, which is a very kind of old school, very white town, um, not too far from Lodi, which is kind of the home of the, some grand wizard of some KKK. I don't know if that's still true, but growing up, we knew that that was the case in Lodi. And so we ended up moving to a church that was in Medina, which I don't know, maybe had five black people. I mean, it's really not diverse at all, but um, a church that we felt a little more comfortable in. Yeah. So I think they, the church itself wants to be supportive. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's good intentions there. Um, but you know they did the same kind of thing that they would do if there was a new baby so there was a meal train which was great honestly that was very helpful um but like cooking was the least of our concerns at that point right there wasn't grubhub or you know uber eats no. back then but that was like the low priority of that was low priority yes and honestly i don't know because our kids were such an extreme situation I don't know if it would have to be a specialized person that I would trust to kind of sit with them, be with them just to give Mike and I a break. Absolutely. So that was the difficult part because my mom would come over because at one point I broke my foot because I was carrying Caroline down the stairs as she was throwing a fit and missed a stair, broke my foot. 
and Caroline looked at me and said, you make me eggs now. So <laughs> thought she was going to be a serial killer for sure. <laughs> um, now she's my easiest kid. <laughs> but I, remember I, my, I need to go to the hospital, but exactly right. Like, no, I'm not making you eggs. You psycho. <laughs> Oh, but like I remember I had to go to the orthopedist for my foot. So my mom came over and sat with the kids and she calls me. Well, I don't want you. I don't want to alarm you, but um, Charlotte almost started a fire. She threw a lamp at me while it was plugged in and, it, and there was a little, some flames coming out of the outlet. I'm like, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. You're like, That's a normal day, mom. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> like every day. Yeah. Um, yes. This is like mothering, you know, times four for you. Like, yes, it was, it was super intense. It was like being thrown in the deep end. Not knowing how to swim. No swimming. No life jacket. No, yeah. no, nothing. Nothing. Wow. But we all survived. So I do think with the church, though, there is a big push. You know, the James 1, I think it's 127 says, you know, part of being a Christian is caring for the orphan and the widow. So there's, there's big pushes in the church of like wanting people to adopt, which I, is great. I think, I think that that's really a good message. However, then you have people who are going into this kind of with the wrong right. intentions sure. with this kind of savior complex. Right. Um, and then when it gets really hard right. and, you know, God's not coming in to like save the day and make it easy right. and the church doesn't know what to do to support you, then you're alone. Then people you jump ship you know right. and that's a lot of what these uh adopt these disruptions are from wow. and another thing that you know the church pushes there's this orphan sunday in november now i used to be super involved in orphan sunday i was like you know trying to get it in my church talking Absolutely. about it but i've done some more reading since then and more learning and educating myself and the numbers that we're putting out to the church where there's like 147 million orphans around the world, what I've learned is that that's inaccurate. So what we would consider orphans are kids with zero parents that are still living. Right. A lot of these countries, they consider orphans if they're a single parent. So if one parent leaves or one parent wow. dies, it's really hard to be a single parent in a lot of these countries because sure. they don't, they're not set up for that. Sure. It's not like you can drop your kid off at daycare, right? Right, right, right. So that's what happened with all my girls. They, their mothers are still living. Wow. Their fathers had left and left the moms in a bad situation where they couldn't afford to take care of their children. Sure. They're forced into that situation. So I think what the church needs to do is partner up with organizations that are in country already in all these countries. There are already people on the ground in the country doing the work of family preservation. So instead of, you know, white, mostly white Americans coming in to save the day, right. um, to save these children from destitute, um, destitute lives. Um, we need to be supporting organizations on the ground to make it so these moms can keep their children, um, giving them micro loans to start a small business, right. um, coming and in keeping, with, and keeping that family unit together exactly For right a lot of these moms don't want to give up their children absolutely just forced yes. to so debate i mean you're a mom you know you there's nothing in the world more important than your child absolutely. Absolutely. like being put in that situation where you're that desperate you're in that desperate of a situation that you have to place your child for adoption that's horrifying it is horrifying 
And I so, know there's all sorts of reasons for it. Whether right, it's, right. You know, um, there's all sorts of reasons. Um, yeah. And so there, there may be a time and a place where that is the best for the child, where the child, right. you know. And for the mother. And for the mother. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure that that percentage compared to if the mom had the right resources or, right. or parent, father, father, mother yes. would have the right resources, would have the financial means, would have yes. support, would have that community aspect where yes. um, that would be there. So maybe after this, you can send some of the reputable places that you know of that Absolutely. we can also share um, with the audience um, and just to educate. So, is it, you know, yes. part of this is just about, um, gentle learning, compassionate learning, coming from yeah. a place of um, understanding. And, and there may be things that I, that I may not understand about your choices, or you may not understand about my choices, but it's about right. the compassionate listening and the non-judgmental. We're all fast to judge, but we have yeah. to do something with that judgment, whether it's right. a bad judgment and we say, you know what, okay, I can't help necessarily my judgment, but I'm going to start training my mind right. to right. think differently and act differently and speak differently. Um, yeah. And, and, that will go a long way in the world today. And those pieces yeah. of, um, and again, you know, I grew up in the church and that'll be a whole nother podcast of, right. of, of uh, my church experience. Um, but the church has so many good intentions and Absolutely. Many coming out of the gates, but often don't have the infrastructure or long-term solution to support yeah. families um, yeah. and make that a really healthy uh, reality for families. Yeah. So I get that. Um, well, I also so think like before, before George Floyd was more murdered, right before that, there was a family that was apparently a famous YouTube family. I had never heard of them, but I also don't really like spend time on YouTube. Why I not? Yeah. I, I got all this free time on my hands. and just like, <laughs> hang out on YouTube. But apparently they were like a family that kind of put their whole life out there and she would do like cleaning tips and I don't know, cook. I don't know what she did, but anyway. <laughs> I know they talked about their youngest son was adopted, special needs adopted from China. And she apparently had been a nurse in the past. I don't know if she still was a nurse, but anyway, that's why they pursued a special needs Chinese adoption. Okay. So apparently they had him for a couple of years and then just recently disrupted his adoption. So they were being just really attacked by the public that had always kind of followed their videos because she essentially like it, they were monetized videos and people felt like she was exploiting him in order to get money for these videos. And so a lot of people were reaching out to me just for my opinion on it. And I was like, you know, I'm gathering information on the story. And um, my plan was to kind of make a video on Facebook about it, sure. just like my thoughts on it. Um, but then the whole George Floyd thing happened, but I just think, like, I know I'm friends with families that have had to disrupt adoptions. And obviously, I'm in a position, and many friends of mine are in a position of raising children from disrupted adoptions. Right. And I just think we need to give each other grace. Absolutely. We just need to understand that we never know their journey. We never, we'll never know the full extent of what was going on in that household. Absolutely. You know, why, why they made the choices they made. And it's really none of our business. And yet, I think as Americans, we're in this culture where we think, oh, you told me this about your life, then you, I deserve to know everything else. Absolutely. And it's real easy to jump to 
judgment and be like, well, then why did you adopt this kid if you weren't willing to do whatever it took to, but we don't know the whole story, right? And I know like for Celia, that really traumatized her and it was terrible, but thank God she's not with that family anymore, right? So thank God that she is with us and that she will continue to live her life in a loving, supportive family. Versus one where you're being pitted against biological children, a mom who doesn't want you there, right dad who does but is now dealing with all of the emotionality of that family unit so exactly yeah so i just think we need to as a society realize that we we're never going to know the whole story and all we need to do as women is to like support one another and be like i'm sure that was really hard and i'm really sorry that you're walking through that journey right now what can i do what can we do to help you absolutely and that is the heart of this podcast and this movement is I am not in your shoes right. and who am I to say this is how you should do it yeah. I've had friends who have had abortions who yeah. have um, gone through divorces who have had affairs who have gone through life things and all I show is love like Absolutely. love they yeah. people feel judgment all yeah. over the place people right. feel shame all over the place we right. put it on ourselves and mm-hmm. for that human compassion of Um, love and understanding and showing up empathy. Um, And years ago, I put a tattoo in Hebrew on my foot and it says unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a constant reminder that I want my feet and and my essence to be a foundation of unconditional love. And first for myself, if I can walk in uh, in forgiveness toward myself Mm -hmm. and unconditional love toward myself, then I can allow it to flow to others. And I think that piece of we're quick to say, well, I knew this about you. You said that, like, I knew this about you. So why did you do X, Y, or Z? And we're not in people's hearts, minds, emotions. We're not in their homes. We don't know what happens when the doors close, when we leave. And empathy can go a long way. So I think you said it really well. Definitely. What's a piece of advice that you would give to families who are considering a disrupted adoption? So I definitely would not do a disrupted adoption if you've never adopted before. Oh, interesting. Um, because it's like... But don't do what you did. Yeah, don't do what I did. Yeah, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> um, unless, you know, you have a background in working with troubled youth or you have a background in developmental psych. Sure. Um, you definitely need to form a team because it takes a village for any kid, especially a kid that's come from trauma. You need to have a psychiatrist, a therapist, you know, um, in Ohio, you guys have an, have amazing resources or something called the post-adoption subsidy. Sub, I don't know. It's, it's called pass. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get that. Yeah. We'll get that for yeah. the audience as well. Sure. Yeah. So that provides $10,000 per child per year for therapeutic services that aren't otherwise covered under your insurance. That's awesome. You know, with a lot of these services, they're so specialized that insurance companies haven't quite caught up yet with the mental health service systems. So I would definitely, if you're in Ohio, look into that. If you're um, in another state in the United States, I would Google post-adoption support and then your state and see what there is out there. Because you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot do it alone. You're going to need helpers in your village to help you. Um, And if you're looking for a disrupted adoption, I suggest starting. There's a reputable agency out there 
uh, I think they're based in Utah. And if you go on Facebook and search Second Chance Adoptions, oh, okay. it is um, just a part of their business that they do for, through their adoption agency. So they charge the first adoptive family a fee and the new adoptive family a fee. They vet everybody. Sure. They, you have lawyers involved. You make sure everybody's following the rules, following the laws. Um, again, it's not ideal for the child involved, but if, if there needs to be another placement, you need to go through an agency. You need to have an attorney involved. You need to do everything on the up and up um, so that you're completely covered legally when it comes to the paperwork and the documentation. Now, how did you feel? Because I know that you guys went from the Cleveland, Ohio area to Philadelphia to Virginia. How was that transition with your community? Because you're saying it takes a village. So right. you are leaving your, your family. I think your mom is yes. still in Ohio. Yes. Um, so how did that transition go for you guys as you move from state to state? It was really difficult moving to Philly because it was the first time I'd ever, my husband and I had ever really been living out of Ohio um, without a, a family support system. Sure. So that was tricky. We were lucky to find a good church for a little while. Um, and I was lucky to get involved in a Facebook group that was a regional Philly area adoptive moms group. So that was a huge blessing. That's where I met Christine, who's on your team. Yeah. And so I got connected with a lot of really great friends through that. Um, I'm at the point in my life where I don't have time to BS with people. So I found the best friends for me personally are other adoptive parents. Awesome. Because they already get they that get element of your life. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. They get the hard stuff. They're not going to judge you when you're like, hey, I know we were going to come over, but so-and-so just peed themselves. And, you know, they're not going to judge you when something right. crazy right. happens. Right. Um, so I actually had an amazing group of friends in Philly. That was a huge support group, but I will say the mental health services were terrible. Wow. There's just wasn't any access to anything. Okay. That was good. Um, I think if we lived in Philly, it would have been better, but we were like an hour and a half North of it. Okay. So we we're pretty rural. Sure. Um, and then in Virginia, we've met some great friends. Um, but and I'd, I would say the mental health is definitely better here in Virginia. Okay. We, what we don't have is we've never, ever found this pass grant, something like that, with the money that... Support that, right? Right, right, yeah. Wow. So that money really, we didn't realize how good we had it in Ohio right. as far as... The, you can always that. move back. Right, I know, I know. <laughs> Trust me, every time there's a job transition, I'm always like, hey, did you find anything in Ohio? <laughs> exactly. People are going to think you're on the lam, like you're going, you know, just running yeah. from the law here. Well, there's so many military here where we live because we're close to Quantico. And right. so people just assume we're military. We're like, oh, we're from Ohio, but we moved here from Philly. They're like, oh, you're military. And I'm like, no, no, no we're not. We're just crazy. <laughs> we're just crazy. We're just a hot mess. And that I, I, and for those of listening, um, Sarah's like hashtag for years has been hot mess. Yes. So like, yes. I think you had a blog about it. You yeah, our blessed hot mess. Yeah, our blessed hot yeah. mess. Yeah. Um, when I met Chad, he was just like, "You are a hot mess." He always called me uh -huh. hot mess train. Yeah, and I'm like, Definitely. "I am not a hot mess." And he's so like methodical and organized yeah. and linear thinking yeah. and creative yeah. and entrepreneur. And my mind's all over and squirrel brain. And I have yeah. 17 things out at once. And he's just like, "You are such a hot mess." And every time he called me, that I think thought of you. And, and <laughs> so um, 
But I do want to share a little bit of a fun story between you and I of um, <laughs> some zip lining that you and oh I. Oh my gosh, you see this bruise on my arm right here? It's so reminiscent of our time together at the zip line. This happened when trying, we were spending an hour trying to catch these three feral cats that I was fostering that I ended up having to get rabies shots because of. Oh, Lord. Again, like it's only never, only me. There's never a dull moment. So anyone in Sarah's life, it is never a dull, dull moment in Sarah's sure. life. So I went to Philadelphia and Christine uh, uh, on my team and Sarah, we decided that we're going to do some team bonding and go zip lining. Do you want to you share a little bit of those experiences? Well, let's just start with this. You and Christine are in better physical shape than I am. And at that time, especially because I had, I think I was only six months out from like major abdominal surgery that like I almost died from. It was really intense. And so I had basically been on a couch for six weeks. And so I had no muscle mass whatsoever. Like everything had deteriorated, no core strength, nothing. But I was like, yes, zip line. sounds like a great idea because I forget how old I am. I forget that I'm like in my late 30s. So for clarity, it was zip lining and high ropes course. It was high the, ropes course, right. So yeah, we were that, like, that's where we got in trouble was the high ropes. It so wasn't necessarily the free falling. It, yeah, it was the, uh, the other stuff. So you guys were doing really good at it, but like, they, I remember right away knowing it was a problem because they like strapped me in and I went up to like the first thing and I was, I knew that the strap was like put on wrong and my lady business was like not comfortable whatsoever. And I remember telling you that I was like going to injure my vagina. Like this just was not going to end well. This was not going to be a good, a good thing. Um, so we survived as we like walked around like walked across you and christine were doing really well but i was in the front i think i think each one i think there was three major things and we voted like each of us yeah. would do and i think they got progressively harder yes and yeah. we each of us were supposed to be the leader on yes. on one of those and, and uh, one of those i think you might have got stuck with the hardest leading no i did the first one which wasn't first. supposed to be the hardest because you guys went on to do the harder ones and i was like peace i'm not doing that like i'm scarred for life already so on one of the ropes things i fell and i had to i caught myself with my like armpits and ended up bruising my arm up really bad and then um, at one point I had a full on panic attack because I was like, I do remember that. I was like crying and you can't just like get down because you're like on this thing and they, you have to finish it. Like you're screwed. If so, one of the workers was like trying to talk me down and calm me down and you guys are like, you're doing great. And there were like two kids behind our group that were like, Jesus, this is <laughs> you stupid old people. Like, why do you think that you can do these things? Like, you can't oh. do these things, Nemo. You think you can. It was one of the best afternoons that I had with <laughs> girlfriends out just laughing. And I'm I'm afraid of heights, so I struggle with some of it. Yes. Uh, Christine was a rock star. I think she was she just, was. like, part monkey going through everything and, like, swinging from the trees type scenario. Yes. Um, but I just remember laughing so hard. And um, your your candor, your your intonations, your tears, your... <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to break my vagina on this whereas was yeah it? yeah so, i uh, thought it was permanent damage but yeah but no. <laughs> so i also have a note here that you are very passionate um and i wanted to close with this about um social social justice mm -hmm. um active in many groups and wanted you to kind of share some of those that you are passionate about and involved in 
So of course, you know, when I adopted my children, I was so naive about race issues. And the past 10 years have been a major learning journey for me. Um, I've seen a lot, I've experienced a lot through their um, eyes. And I've just, I've been in a posture of sitting back, listening and learning for 10 years. And um, now it's just such an amazing time in our society where there's so much information and so many resources out there. So many great um, black voices are talking to us and teaching us and telling us the things that we need to be learning. And there's so many great books out there that we can educate ourselves on. Um, I'm reading one right now called White Fragility. That's really, really good. And that is written by a white person for white people. Wow. Um, So that one is just a neat, interesting perspective about like, why is it so hard for us as as white people to look introspectively in, in our life experience and see how our experience is so different than other people's experience? Why are we so defensive? Right. Um, Egocentric. Yes, yeah. totally, totally. And why are we not willing to listen to other voices and listen to other people's perspectives and their experiences and be willing to learn from that? Yeah. Um, and then I'm also, something that it's just kind of been a God thing. Um, God laid on my heart and my husband's heart simultaneously, but we didn't know that. We were kind of mm-hmm. like on our own personal journey separately uh, about the LGBTQ community. And so both of us were kind of like separately doing some research online and reading and really praying about it. And then at one point I brought it up to him and he was like, that's really weird because I've been feeling the same pull to really learn about this. Now, mind you, at that time, we had nobody in our lives that was gay. We didn't know anybody. Um, It was either right before or right after we adopted the twins, the kids. And um, so we just, we, we learned and we became allies and we learned how to get involved. I have been involved with a group called Free Mom Hugs, where we go to different pride events and we have shirts to say Free Mom Hugs and we hug people. I love it. And it is the most spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. I feel closer to Jesus doing that. Uh, than I do doing anything else. Wow. I feel like it's such, um, I, I just feel so blessed to be able to do that right. because I hug these people and I tell them, I love you. Right. Because that's what a mom would say, right? I love you. You are enough. You are perfect. You are made perfectly. And these, I mean, you have kids up to 40 year old men sobbing in your arms saying, I, my mom hasn't talked to me for years. My parents have disowned me. My parents say, accept me, but don't accept my lifestyle choices. Sure. Um, there's always, it's a conditional love. Always. It's not always. unconditional. Yep. So it's just, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to do that. And it's interesting looking back on it because now, you know, 10 years later, I can see why God put this in my heart. There's been so many experiences in my life, people that um, are best friends of ours, things that have happened. We have a best friend couple, the husband and wife are going through a divorce because he's gay. He grew up in a very extreme, fundamental um, Baptist church. And um, he knew he would go to hell. That's what he was always told. And he thought he could pray it away. 
and at 40 years old, kind of just about 40 years old, kind of realized this isn't, this yeah. isn't going away. Like, so it's been neat kind of like we were already in advocacy work. And so he knew Mike and I were safe. He knew that we were always going to love him no matter what. So it's just been such a cool thing to look back and be like, okay, God, I see. Yeah, I see why you were like, I'm glad I listened, you absolutely. know? I love it. No, and that, again, is the essence of this podcast, this movement, is to love, is to share yeah. love, to not judge, to, mm. you, and it's not about giving up beliefs. It's not about a unitarian society or we all have to believe. It's just being so kind and accepting of other people's beliefs, yeah. their yeah. choices. Yeah. And, you know, I talked about this on another podcast where you know, if your choices harm me or your choices harm my children, or it's a safety issue, obviously those boundaries are healthy and needed. Yes. But beyond that, just, there is not, there's so much judgment. You and I have been in, in the church of do's and don'ts. You know, I've been in it my entire life. Yes. Um, I'm passionate about my faith. I'm passionate about my walk. I am not passionate about the judgment, the, right. um, you have to do this or, um, the lack of understanding, the lack of compassion, the lack of um, how Jesus moved and talked and loved and spoke and um, just accepted. And, and that yeah. piece of, um, we need more of that. So I might get a mom, mom, mom love, hug, hug a mom shirt. Yeah, free mom hugs, man. Look up. Each state has their own uh, regional uh, group now. So you can go on Facebook and get involved with that. I love it. Um, the girl, the woman who is in charge kind of started the movement. Her name's Sarah Cunningham. She is from Oklahoma city and her son came out as gay and she was you know, very involved in the church and just really kind of battled what that means for her, what that means for her faith and for her son and came to the conclusion of, I love my son and God doesn't make mistakes. And this isn't a choice that my son is making. And I, and I love him. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever I can to love and support him. So she started doing this on her own and it's just exploded. And now Jamie Lee Curtis is involved and she's bought the movie rights and she's going to be making a movie about this. Oh, There's going to be a documentary coming out about it. Amazing. And, and so, for the audience, we'll make sure I know that Sarah's touched on a lot of different resources about the adoption issues, about, um, learning and education about race, um, about um, the movement um, and the LBGTQ um, way as well. So we'll make sure that we make all those resources available as well. Um, and do you have any other final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I'm just, I'm proud of you. And I'm so happy that you're doing this. And I'm just thrilled that we got the opportunity to virtually hang virtually out hang it. No, especially during covid uh separation time so if it wasn't 11 a.m i would have had an amaretto sour in my hand well, and and that that would be always welcome so yeah. with you yeah. with, you always say i'm gonna get my old lady drink my yeah. sour so <laughs> well i wanted to say thanks for coming um thanks for the listeners for being here today and um this is genesis speaks where every woman has a story and every story matters we are very passionate about this and we want to spread the love and the joy and, and the acceptance for all women, all walks of life. And we can't wait to touch base with you next time. Thanks. Subscribe to the Genesis Movement to empower women's voices and reclaim the power over your own narrative.